0: Um, but we exist to uh, unite the, the church in the UK and my team which is called the advocacy team um, represents the Christian voice so takes all our our members and represents them in corridors of power which mostly means to government um, so on issues like abortion, euthanasia, prostitution, gambling, cost of living um, all those sorts of things, we will go and engage with government, whether that's through lobbying or um, kind of hosting events. We're going into government in a few weeks' time to present to, to politicians what the church is doing on the cost of living and suggest that the government should be doing more. Um, and then my job, <laughs> specifically, is to kind of face our members, be that church or individual, and encourage them to speak up for Jesus in their own walks of life, um, whether that speak up on issues,
1: as Jesus would, or just speak up and share the gospel. Brilliant. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. So Joe's going to come and um, tell us about resources she's been working on and help us really think about on-the-ground issues in the workplace. Um, but uh, we're going to start by working through the handout. If people have got a handout, most people have got one. Jules has got a few spares. If you don't, great. Um, and am thinking about work and rest. But actually, in the order of rest and work... Um, because, well, for reasons that I hope will become clear. And um, I want to begin by talking about the idol of busyness, which I'm basically going to spend next to no time persuading you is a thing.
2: <laughs>
1: um, I walked past my neighbour the other day a few doors down and said, oh, hi, Henri, how's it going? Um, and I said, oh, hi. I said, how are things? He said, oh, busy as hell, right? But we all are, aren't we? And um, it's quite a revealing answer. But um, I imagine that we often say the same sort of thing. Um, how was your week? Yeah, good. Pretty busy. Or really busy. Crazy busy. This week it's just been so busy. <laughs> it, kind of, it almost gets a bit boring, doesn't it, if we're honest. It's just always our default response. Like Someone said to me recently, a few years ago, it used to be fine. Now it's busy. I don't know when that change happened. But um, it's just undeniable, isn't it? Everyone feels busy. What is going on there? Um, Part of the issue, I think, is that we, we feel like we're dealing with the impossible age-old conundrum of trying to strike the perfect work-life balance. Um, I'm sure your workplaces will talk about this, and maybe some of them are quite helpful in helping you think about it. Um, but the trouble is, that's not a thing. <laughs> because work is part of life, isn't it? Um, I think what we're trying to think about, what maybe we're hoping that we're going to think in a healthy way about, is a work-rest balance because that is a thing. Um, work, as we're going to see, is a great gift from God, as is rest. And life is all of it, right? Um, life is a work and rest balance in a healthy way, hopefully. Um, that's what we're aiming for. Um, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Yeah? If, if we're Jesus people, we love him, we want to honour God, we want to glorify God. That's our deep desire, isn't it? To glorify God in all things. And hopefully this afternoon will help us to think about how to do that in work and in rest. How do we work for the glory of God? How do we rest for the glory of God? Because that's what we're trying to aim for, isn't it? In all things. Okay, so let's spend a bit of time trying to recover rest. Recovering rest. What is rest and why is it a good thing? Well, well, I want us to see that rest is actually our ultimate purpose. Um, rest is our ultimate purpose. We might think, when you hear the word rest, we might just think of kind of lazy inactivity, right? Slobbing out with the dominoes and Netflix. Um, or we might think of luxurious pampering, um, as if to rest is really to, like, book a crazy expensive spa retreat or something. Like, that's rest. Um, but the Bible actually has a much bigger and a much better View of what rest is. Um, so, Exodus 20, let's turn to Exodus 21st, please. Uh, the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> uh, page 58. Uh, there's some Bibles hiding at the front and pens if people are lacking should have sat in the front row. Um, <laughs> um, all right, Exodus 20, so 10 commandments. And um, famously, the fourth commandment there in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the famous Ten Commandments, ten being a number of completeness, this is a, a definitive summary of God's law, God's will for his people. Uh, inscribed by God Himself, you know, He's really making a point. Like this is this is it. When you boil it down, these are the ten words, the ten good commands. And so they reveal what kind of God He is, uh, what His will is. What you know, all sorts of gods out there, all sorts of idols, people that uh, things that people fall down and worship. What kind of God are they? What do they want from people? Well, this is what God wants from people. And we know them. You know, not not killing each other, um, speaking truth to each other. Uh, not sleeping with each other 's what spouses, you know this is the kind of God he is, a God who values those things, faithfulness, truthfulness, and so on and he 's the kind of God who tells us to rest. He tells us to stop the, the Sabbath literally just means stopping, ceasing from labor. That is the kind of God he is, the God who really, really, really wants his people to rest. Um, and what's the reason given? Well, verse 11, he's telling us to remember creation. Remember creation and to remember your creator's design, um, that his work of creation ended in rest. You know, the creation account, Genesis 1, t- says what he made, and then it says, um, there was evening and there was morning, the first day. you so what he made, evening, morning, second day, and so on. Um, day 7, says so he finished his work of creating, and he rested. It's like dot, dot, dot. <laughs> There's no evening or morning. There was a seventh day. It's, it's as if that rest is sort of ongoing in some way. It just continues. Like, oh, there we are. He's done it. And now it's rest. That, that was the goal. That was the purpose of creation. And I wonder if you've ever considered why we have weeks. So um, uh, what is a day? Someone tell me, what, what defines a day? 24 hours. Yeah, 24 hours. And, and what happens in those 24 hours? Thank you, Bill. I <laughs> yeah. didn't want to say <laughs> The Earth rotates <for> <laughs> on its axis, yeah? Um, uh, what about a month? What happens in a month? Moon around the Earth, yeah. Um, is, this, is this new knowledge to people? <laughs> I never do that. Don't worry, no shame. Um, How many
2: minutes
1: in an hour? Hang on. <laughs> uh, what about a year? What happens in a year? Uh, Earth goes around the sun, Right. <laughs> Um, it's fascinating. Um, so, I mean, that is just like cosmology, right? That's planets and things moving around. They define days, months, years. What defines a week? God. It's only because of Genesis 1 and 2 that we have weeks. There's no, like, planetary reason. Um, nothing happens in a week, so in terms of planets. It's just God said, six days do your work, seven days have a rest. That is a week. It's a God-given <laughs> pattern for how we can live and rest and do life. It is a gift from God. Um, it's also interesting if you kind of zoom it down and think about days. So um, the Romans apparently, I think, counted their days from like midnight to midnight. That's where we get it from. Um, whereas, again, compared Genesis 1, the Jewish day was kind of night to day. There was evening and there was morning. And there's actually theological significance to that because you go from darkness to light. You go from, you know, Genesis 1, as we were hearing this morning again, chaos to order, <laughs> um, death to life, right? But this is the pattern of God through history, going from work to rest, um, Romans thirteen says, "The night is nearly over; the day is almost here." It's talking about like the very end coming nearer and nearer, and we're almost reaching our goal. Um, that is where we're heading. We're heading ultimately to to rest, and uh, we are going to enter into that rest ultimately as the new creation dawns and redeems the whole creation. So that is where we're going. We're going to enter that that rest, that seventh day which God has been in since the very beginning. So we're created for eternal rest. This is where we're going. And it just changes everything, doesn't it, to have that as the goal of all things. And supremely, the goal is not us on a champion's podium, right, having, like, adoring crowds saying, well done, you, you nailed life. <laughs> no, that's not the goal, is it? The goal is God on the throne and people praising him. And that is, that is rest. That is what we were made for, to say, oh, God is God. <laughs> he is merciful and mighty. He is awesome. And that is rest. That's our ultimate goal, to, to praise and glorify him. So rest is our ultimate purpose. We're created for eternal rest. And so it's not really a surprise that the language of rest is used for salvation. Um, second point on the sheet, rest is salvation in Christ. Um, we can't get to that rest ourselves. We can't swan into the new creation, can we? And so rest is also a picture of salvation, of God drawing near in Jesus to enable us to enter that rest. Um, so imagine being one of those Israelites. Okay, we read from the Ten Commandments, didn't we, Exodus 20, and God's just set all his people free from slavery, gives them the law. Um, and so what is fresh in your mind, uh, for many generations, you and your people have been slaves, slaves to Pharaoh. And now you're being set free. And they're being told by God, you can rest. Yes, you're going to work. Work is good. But I also want you to stop and rest. And so the commandments come again in Deuteronomy. You know the story of the people um, that keep screwing up. They're wandering around the deserts. Um, uh, generation comes and goes and then Deuteronomy, they're given the law again. That's what Deuteronomy means, the second giving of the law. And so it's interesting, if you turn on to Deuteronomy 5, you see the Ten Commandments again. Um, but it's worth looking at the Sabbath one. <coughs> Deuteronomy 5.15, that's page
2: 136.
1: And so they're given the laws again. But do you remember before, he said, um, observe the Sabbath, and remember creation, right? Remember what God did. Now he says, Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So it's written into creation to think back and, oh yeah, okay, God's given us weeks and that's how we're meant to live. But also he's saying, remember your redemption. Remember that you guys were slaves. Your people were slaves. And when you're a slave, you don't get a day off. Remember the Pharaoh, like, giving, forcing them to do more and more, hard and harder work, and never giving them any rest or care or compassion. God is saying, no, that's not what I'm like. Your work is good. And your rest is a good gift as well. I've set you free now to belong to me, and I'm the kind of God who gives rest to his people. Remember that you're free. That's what Sabbath is meant to remind us of. We're free. We're set free by God. And so when Jesus comes, Matthew 11, come to me and I will give you rest. In Jesus is where we find that salvation. And Hebrews 4 talks about entering into that rest in Jesus because of Jesus. And as Paul preached in Acts 17, he said, um, you know, God is not the kind of God you need to serve. He's not served by human hands. As if he needed anything. Now he gives us life and breath and everything we have. It's all a gift. We don't need to work to impress God and get some kind of measly reward if we've done well enough. He's full to overflowing with blessing and grace and life. Receive from me is what he's saying. Receive a gift, receive rest. God rescues us into rest in Christ it's as we come to him. Our restless hearts find rest. That's what Augustine said famously. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And so we can begin to get a little taste of what we were made for, that eternal rest. We get a little taste of it as we come to Jesus and enjoy God in Christ. So rest is salvation in Christ. But also over the page, rest is for now. Okay, so you might think, well, if it's all about heaven, it's all about salvation, uh, what about now? Do we just crack on with our busy lives? Because, you know, we're going to rest in the end, aren't we? I, I remember once hearing a preacher say, um, uh, there's plenty of time for rest in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> she was basically saying, like, work yourselves to the ground now, <laughs> because you are got to rest when you die. Um, <laughs> we've seen already that, yes, rest is ultimate, but... God's wired it in to creation. We need it now. It's a good gift to be received and to, a command even to be obeyed. It's funny to think about that, isn't it? God, God commands rest. Stop! Stop! He commands us to rest. Um, a little while ago, we took Clemmie um, to Battersea Park Zoo. Anyone been there? It's quite a good little little zoo. Good for the kids. And... Um, it was her second birthday. It was a birthday treat. And she hated it. <laughs> she, she was just miserable. I think she'd been a bit unwell that week. And I was determined to like, make it really fun. I was like, come on, we go to the zoo. Woohoo! We're going to see all these animals and birds. And it's going to be great. Come on, let's go. Let's go, let's go. Uh, I, was, I was like, in a sense, I was commanding her to go. I was saying, come on, we're going. Come on, we get in the car. We're going. Um, and she was dragging her feet. She didn't really enjoy it. It was a bit of a parenting fail. I sort of read the signs that <laughs> she wasn't up for it that day. Um, so you know, humans, we we get that kind of thing wrong, don't we? We we think we know what's good for someone, but it might not be quite right. It's not like that with God. He knows what is good for us. He made us, and so when He says, "It's good for you to stop and rest," that is true. Do we believe that? He knows that it's good for us to rest. And he knows that it's really bad for us not to. And so he commands it. Part of his law, just like not killing each other, not stealing from each other, not lying to each other. It is for now, and it's possible because of Jesus. As you go through John's Gospel, which we've been doing in Connect Groups, do you remember him saying back in Chapter 5 that um, on the Sabbath when he heals someone, he says he's been working to this very day with his father. Right? He, he came to work. He's been working out the plan of salvation for our salvation to give us this rest. And so when he got to the cross, John 19, he says, it's finished. He's done it. He's done the saving work that we needed him to do. He's done it so we can rest. It's possible. We don't need to, to strive to like exhaust ourselves trying to impress God or please God. No, he's done it all. You can just come to Him and receive His gift of salvation and rest. And so that, like, trickles all the way down to our week to week. Don't you think there's a bit of a connection? If if, we're ne- if we never feel able to stop and rest, who are we trying to please? Who are we trying to impress? Who are we actually working for? Because God, <laughs> if we're really working for Him, that includes resting. That includes stopping. We're free to rest. It's possible because of Jesus. And it's for our good. That's abundantly clear. Mark 2, again, when Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, he says, You do realise that Sabbath is for mankind? <laughs> like, it's for you guys. It's, it's a gift. It's a blessing. And Psalm 4 as well applies it to sleep. Sleep is a gift from God. Isn't it extraordinary that every day <laughs> we get into bed and just, like, lie horizontal <laughs> for a good, what, seven, eight, nine hours doing nothing, <laughs> right? We think we're productive, busy people, but you do that every single day. You just lie there doing zip. But that's part of who we are. We need to rest. We need to rest. It's for our good. It's really bad to neglect it. Um, and it's for the Lord. Um, in the Ten Commandments, when it's given, you know, it was a Sabbath to the Lord. It was unto the Lord. It was, there's a kind of Godward direction to it as well, because it honors him, doesn't it? it it means we're acknowledging what kind of God he is. And so in the New Testament, when Jesus rose again on, on the first day, Sunday, that became known as the Lord's Day. Like in John, um, sorry, it's not John 1.10, it's Revelation 1.10. John calls it the Lord's Day. Um, just as the Sabbath was to the Lord, the Lord's Day is to the Lord, for the Lord. Um, and here we are, Sunday, the Lord's Day. It, it's a day for him. It's a day for our good. For our joy as we meet together, fellowship, worship, and it's for the Lord. It's, it's towards Him, it's honoring Him. It's a day for the Lord. <clears throat> um, all right, so enjoy Sabbath. Enjoy Sabbath and mini Sabbaths. Now, Christians do this in all sorts of different ways, and um, there are, I need to acknowledge, you know, there are different ways of thinking about to what extent that command from the Ten Commandments ab- applies to us today. No Christian would deny that it's written into creation, right? And so I personally think, well, it's madness to think that somehow we now are free to disregard that. It's still part of the world we live in. Um, and perhaps even more so, if, if Christ has come, saying, come to me and have rest. I'm what it's all about. This day now is for the Lord. Why would we not do that? Why would we not enjoy that gift that is for the Lord? Um, it's a gift for him. Let's enjoy it. Um, and I encourage you to think about how to do that. Um, Beth and I have been talking about this a lot the last year or so, trying to really wrestle this through. How, yeah, what does that mean in practice? Like, how does that affect, you know, cooking and shopping and laundry and you know all the really nitty gritty stuff? Emails? Like, are there are there little boundaries and things I can put in place to to make Sunday feel different, to to feel more like a day of rest? Um, I encourage you to think about that. Um, but also mini-Sabbaths, by which I just mean pockets of rest throughout the week. Um, if we're enslaved to the idol of busyness, you can never do that, can you? You can never stop and just enjoy a little break, a little coffee break, a little a little walk. It, it almost feels luxurious. Oh, I can't do that. I'm so busy. Don't you know my schedule? But remember who God is, how he's made us. And um, there's something. I, like we could talk all week, couldn't we, about technology and smartphones and how they make us so ridiculously connected and distracted all the time. They are designed for that to distract us. And so it makes focusing and being present in the moment incredibly hard, doesn't it? Um, and so like, let's take steps to deal with that. Um, I started trying to, when I get home, just turning the phone off for an hour. Radical! <laughs> One hour! I mean, it's not that radical, is it? But it just means I could be more present with the family when I get home. And are there little pockets, little moments where we can just receive a break? <laughs> Walking to work, admiring the trees, whatever it is. Enjoy a cup of coffee. Take your time making it. Like, are, there, are there things you can do, little mini Sabbaths? And, and don't feel guilty about them, but enjoy them. Receive them as a gift from God. Okay, so I'd love us to chat, chat to somebody near you and have a little chat about um, some of these things. In that box there, a couple of questions um, about thinking about rest and Sundays in particular. Have a little chat about that before we carry on. <clears throat> <laughs> okay, should we carry on? Um, those little um, pockets of conversation are never enough, are they? But I guess the, my hope in us having them is they just begin conversations that we might talk about more later, um, raise issues. Maybe they'll raise questions that we'd like to ask and talk about together later. Um, so I, I'm debating whether to pick up on a few things that we were just talking about, but I'll save it for Q and A if it comes up. So um, loving at work, let's move on to think about work, um, because with all of that said. Um, it's still very clear, isn't it, that the, the majority of our time is meant to be directed towards work of some form or another. And just to like clarify something before we go any further, by work I mean, I mean a, quite a wide definition of work, right? Um, Labour, um, giving of ourselves to produce things and do stuff. So it may not mean you might not get paid for that. Right? Work does not necessarily equal employment. Um, we've got all sorts of things that we need to do, don't we? Um, Laundry, uh, cleaning your shoes, like whatever. They're just stuff that. <laughs> you ever clean your shoes? Uh, life requires just like doing stuff, getting stuff done. And a lot of it you don't get paid for. So, so work is quite a, a wide category. Um, uh, but obviously for many of us it will apply most specifically to, to work, although for some of us it won't, by which I mean employment. Um, but let's begin by turning to Acts 20. Page 838. Okay. And as Paul is speaking, he says in Acts 20, verse 35, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So he himself talks about doing hard work. And what words is used to describe his hard work? Well, it's a blessed gift. He's giving to others by working. And in a way that is that is more blessed, it's it's more happy, more joy-giving to, to give to others. And it's just one verse of, of many that reminds us that Work is really about love. It's about loving others and giving to others. The greatest commandment, of course, uh, Matthew 22, is to love God and love others, to love people. And so really, when you think of that, there must be ways to connect what we spend the vast majority of hours of our weeks doing, connecting that with love. Because that is ultimately what we're called, for, called to uh, uh, by God, to love, to love God and to love people. So it would be really fruitful to consider, okay, well, how is my work loving people? And for some of us, that might feel a bit of an easier question to answer. But, um, I guess, you know, if you're working in nursing or policing or something, you're, like, you're quite clearly dealing with people and thinking, right, I need to love and help this person. Sometimes it feels a few more steps removed, doesn't it? Um, but it is all about love, or it should all be about love, ultimately. And it's interesting just to note that in the kind of business world, like, a little bit of me is quite geeky and quite really enjoys all the GTD stuff, you know, getting things done, productivity hacks, and all of that. And um, and it's just interesting to note that an increasing number of like business writers, like massive, you know, best-selling books from non- non-Christian things, but they're kind of rediscovering this. <laughs> It feels like the tide is turning from the kind of really hard-nosed, like you know, make a slave of yourself to get stuff done and work your way up to the top. They're now beginning to say, well, actually, love <laughs> is is a pretty good way to get things done. To love people. <laughs> There's a couple of books there. Love is the killer app, or um, Never Eat Alone, uh, which is all about the power of relationships. And they're not sort of perfect. You know, and sometimes it seems a bit like it's a means to an end of <laughs> getting them to serve you. Um, but they're onto something. They're recognizing that compassion, kindness, love is kind of built into how we best function together. Um, and so, a pretty good diagnostic question, I think, to ask ourselves, which is from um, a Kevin DeYoung book, which I'll flag later. Um, as we think about our sort of attitude, our experience of work, and how harassed we feel, how hurried and stressed we feel by it all good question to ask is, am I trying to do good or make myself look good? Which one's really driving me in my work? Am I trying to do good to others or make myself look good? Well, a few, um, a few brief thoughts about um, how we can approach work and doing it for the glory of God. First, thankfulness, which is just to remember that work is good. It is a gift. Um, Genesis 1 and 2, God works... He creates us to work, places us in his world to steward it, to take care of it, to maintain it. Um, we, we're called to join in work with God. And um, so we can expect to have that same experience, just like God's created things and he said, oh, yeah, look at that. It's really good. It's Likewise, in our work, you, you teach a lesson or you fix a boiler or you get some kids alive through the day and in bed safely at the end of the day. Um, a job well done. You share the creator's joy. Oh, there we are. Yeah. He saw what he made, and it was good. Um, we can be thankful for a job well done, working, enjoying it as a gift from God. And um, I just wonder if that could be a really powerful distinctive in our workplaces. If we really believe that, that the work we have to do is good, and it is a gift from God. And just to be clear, <laughs> I'll caveat that by you know, excluding certain lines of work which are clearly immoral, <laughs> and against God's uh, design. But I think that's only a very few, like, you know, professional thief or things like that. Um, basically, basically, work is good. Okay? Good to be clear. Work is good, and so we can be thankful. Um, but secondly, we also need endurance, don't we, because work is hard. And so we all know the story, um, the fall, and there they are in the garden, and they were you know, doing their gardening and working away. And um, and then because of their sin, because they've disrupted the whole order of creation, and they've turned away from God, now work is going to be cursed. It's going to be hard. Um, they're going to keep working, which they were doing before, but now it's going to be painful, painful toil um, by the sweat of your brow. So things are going to break. Uh, you're going to get injured. You're going to be frustrated, there's going to be rudeness, there's going to be tension, there's going to be inconsiderate managers or colleagues, there's going to be injustice sometimes. And so it just should temper our expectations that yes, work is good, but it's also hard and we, we can't expect it to be perfectly rewarding. And so it calls for endurance and it also calls, thirdly, for contentment. Because work isn't ultimate. Let's turn to 1 Timothy 6. Which is page 898. 898, uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. They're sobering words, aren't they? Calling for contentment. And I can't help but just wonder if previous generations maybe would, would look at us and spot in so many of us an, an idol, again, of, of job satisfaction, <laughs> longing for a, a really satisfying job in a way that may just not be possible in this broken, fallen world. And, and even today, if you just think around the world... It, it's one of the reasons why travel can be really, really good for us to like just open our eyes to how many people live. Um, we're getting a team together to go to the Gambia in February, and um, I can't wait for that. And you know, you'll meet um, you'll meet taxi drivers who uh, are desperately trying to sort of get enough fares to botch their car together, stop it from falling to bits, and um, and they're just trying to make enough profit to buy a bit of rice to feed their family. Or a school teacher who, who works so hard throughout all the weekends, and their salary won't be enough to provide for their family, so they have to do all sorts of private tuition throughout the school holidays as well. Um, or market sellers who are desperately calling for trade, so that they can make a tiny profit to feed their family. And so, if you you know you come in February and you meet these people, to ask them, um, do you do you enjoy your job? You get good good job satisfaction. <laughs> Do you see how just <laughs> incongruous that is? That question would just sound like madness. It's just work. <laughs> and it's hard. But it's possible to be content in that. We have food and clothing. We'll be content with that. And so I wonder if it would just be helpful for us to consider all the emotional energy... That we pour into job satisfaction, and and maybe sometimes you know status anxiety. Where am I in the pecking order? Am I going up fast enough? Um, imagine all the emotional energy that goes into that. Imagine if you could bottle that and redirect it. Redirect it to something more positive, and profitable. Contentment. Because work isn't ultimate. Um, and then lastly, witness. Witness. Uh, we're called to work for souls, as well as uh, whatever other kinds of work God has given us. Matthew 5, uh, Jesus says we are to be salt and light. And so work is part of our witness. Um, if God has given us work, that we're creative for it, and then ultimately to rest. And that is just a huge part of our lives, in which Jesus calls us to be distinctive, to be salt, bringing that lovely tastes, um, or to, to be light, to shine Jesus into the world around us. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the idea that basically all we're doing in the world, because it's all fallen and it's all dying and people need salvation, basically we're just kind of redirecting, rearranging chairs on the Titanic. You heard that idea? Like the whole world's going down, and all we really need to be concerned about is rescuing people, getting people into the lifeboats. Now, of course... <laughs> We long for people to find eternal rest and life and salvation in Jesus through faith in him. But work is good. God has given us good things to do in his world as we steward it and take care of it. And so your work, your daily work, daily grind, if it feels like that sometimes, that um, that is good and that is your arena for witness. That's where God has put you. You know, you read through the New Testament, it's full of uh, fishermen, tent makers, tanners, tax collectors, shepherds, silversmiths, all sorts of lines of work. It's in all those things that we're called to be distinctive witnesses for Jesus. And so that'll look different for all of us in our different workplaces, different teams. Um, as one, uh, one doctor at church, I won't embarrass him by saying their name, but um, they told me a while ago that there was a certain test that he was expected to do. Routine tests and um, uh, and he he had to do it twice. He was meant to do it twice every time the test had to be done to you know get it accurate and reliable. Um, but he said that basically no one no one ever does it twice. <laughs> they all just do it once and that's kind of it's normally okay. Um, but he, he brought this to me saying I really think I should do it twice because that's that's what I'm meant to be doing. Um, but it will make me a bit weird. <laughs> It'll make me stand out. Um, and I guess it did, but. He's doing that because of the Lord, because he wanted to honour the Lord and be a distinctive witness for the Lord in his workplace. And I'm sure it, asked, it provoked questions. <laughs> really? You're going to do it again? No one does that. But yeah, but that's what i are going to do. Is it? it's, good. it's good. So distinctiveness will look different for all of us. And Jesus says in Matthew 5 that by doing good, it will provoke a response. It will make people sit up and ask questions and um, hopefully want to know more, know why we're living the way we are. Um, and light, salt and light, shining God's light, the word of the gospel, into the people around us. Um, Joe's going to tell us lots more about this in a minute. But I just want to encourage us that there, there is hunger out there. Um, God is saving a people. If he wasn't, then the end would have come. There are more people to come to Jesus. And, um, and so you might need to risk things to find it. And I find this line from Rico Tice really helpful um, he was one of the co-writers of that Christianity's Floor course. Um, he's very honest about the, the challenges of evangelism. He's not one of those you know, really annoying guys who like, just makes it seem really easy. <laughs> he's like, no, it's hard, but you've just got to do it. <laughs> um, and he says you have to risk the hostility to discover the hunger. And there is a risk, isn't there, when you, you kind of take conversation in a way that might feel a bit awkward or whatever, but risk the hostility to discover the hunger. Maybe they're hungry. Maybe God's using you as a link in the chain that will ultimately bring them to faith in Christ. So, um, I'm going to hand over to Joe now. She's going to take us through lots of really helpful stuff. Um, so, as we said, I'm the DA, membership organisation, practice and education boards in college. CCD is a member of F, so you're all behind the members. I don't know
0: if you're a member of and uh, in the last year I've been writing and producing um, this resource, or this group of resources called Living for Jesus at Work I've filled a table with them over there free to take within reason as many as you'd like um, and so the vision and purpose of Living for Jesus at Work is to help Christians to live for Jesus at Work um, we want to help Christians live out their faith boldly joyfully and wisely. Um, we want them to walk into their places of work and truly believe that their identity in Jesus is both the most important and the most useful thing about them to their colleagues. Um, what would it look like if we lived like we really believed Jesus was real? Like he really lived and really died and really rose again for us what would it look, look like if we lived like that all the time and we want um, everyone who, in, who reads these resources we want to encourage them um, that this is not only the way that we're called to live but that it's actually possible um, but I recognise that there's a danger in a Christian working for a Christian organisation with Christians um, telling those who work in diverse and difficult situations um, that we know the answer to your problems. Um, that was something I really didn't want to do. So last November, um, together with Transform Work UK, LICC and ADF UK, who you might have heard of, you might not, um, we surveyed nearly 600 Christians um, about their experience of, of work and the challenges they face and their experiences, and that really shaped these resources. Um, so we've produced a research report that is, is online, that's not on the table, but you can go and find it. Um, and here are just some key stats from it. The nearly 60% of the people who filled in this survey, all or most of their colleagues know that they're a Christian. So two-thirds of the people who responded. 30% <laughs> say that they are often or sometimes able to explain the good news of Jesus to their colleagues. Only one out of five said that they've talked to their employer about a concern they have um, involving their faith in their work. But two out of five said that they feel they haven't sometimes had to prioritize their work over their Christian faith. So that suggests there's a good chunk of people who are experiencing tension and challenges but are staying quiet. Um, the EA has also produced another report called Talking Jesus. Um, which is also there. Um, and that has tons of stats in it about evangelism and um, sharing, sharing of faith, but I'm just going to share two. Um, the first is that one in three people want to know more about Jesus. So one in three non-Christians, after a conversation with a Christian, want to know more about, uh, more about Jesus. So even if you only have three mates who aren't Christians the chances are that one of them want to know more about Jesus. And 53% of non-Christians know someone who is a practising Christian, but only 11% of these non-Christians know them through the workplace. That was half of my head to go around, so I'm going to say it one more time. 53% of non-Christians know someone who is a practising Christian. So half non-Christians know someone who is a Christian only 11% of those non-Christians know that person through the workplace. So that tells us that there's both a huge opportunity and a really big challenge. Um, I'm happy to tell you that there's not actually anything groundbreaking in any of these resources. Um, there's no like, new revelation or breakthrough method. And that's because God's word is unchanging. And his mission for his people remains the same. It's for us to go, spread the good news of Jesus, and as Johnny was saying, to show his light and love to those around us. But in these resources, we've taken the time to carefully apply God's word and think about what that could look like in workplaces in 2022. So I'm just going to do a brief overview of what the resources are, and then I'm going to focus in on two areas for kind of practical, practical takeaways. So there's um, a research report, as I said, that's it's online. And there's a, a main resource, which I always say is meant to be the reader's sensible friend. Um, so it's to take with them as they go about seeking to live for Jesus at work. And in it, you'll find a biblical motivation, a so theology for living for Jesus at work that covers a lot the same ground of what John just shared. There's a cultural analysis of what it looks like for us as Christians to truly be in the world and truly invest in our colleagues and truly love them um, without being of the world. There's guidance and wisdom on how to go about sharing your faith in the workplace. There's information on what the law has to say about our rights and freedoms. There's a bit on tricky issues, conscience issues that we might face in the <coughs> workplace and wisdom to go about navigating those. And um, finally, there's a bit on how, as Christians, we can find support in the workplace. So there's information on Christian workplace groups, which some of you might already be involved in. Uh, and there's also stuff that the importance important to the church family, which I clearly don't need to tell you about. Um, and then there's a Bible study series that's designed to be done in one of those Christian workplace groups or with a small group. Um, and it just picks up on five themes from the main resource. So there's a, bit on, there's a study on biblical foundations, workplace culture, living out our faith, navigating conscience issues, and finding support. Um, each week, we focus on a, a Bible passage particularly relevant to that area. And then finally, there's a, a pocketbook guide, which is mean, the little one. Um, and this is just sort of short encouragements and reflections and reminders for each day of the week. So it's supposed to walk you through your working week from sort of Monday, Monday blues, as it were, to Friday night socialising and, and navigating drinking culture and that sort of thing. Um, it's meant to be your, your personal encourager to sit in your desk drawer or your back pocket. And, and all of these resources are designed to be accessible and practical. Um, so whether someone's been a, a Christian for a really long time or is brand new to Christian things, it should be accessible for them. So as I said, I'm just going to focus on two aspects of these, um, a tool or a set of tools for dealing with those those tricky issues, the conscience issues, and a tool for, for sharing the gospel at work. So before I get into that first one, the tricky issues, conscience issues, can you just turn for like one and a half minutes to the person next to you? and um, share, has there been a time or is there something you're aware of that's... What could be passed as like a tricky issue, a tricky question someone has asked you, um, or you feel you're going to be asked in, work, in the workplace, um, around your Christian faith, um, maybe particularly conscious issues. So what, what's a tricky question you've been asked at work to do with your faith? Um, why don't you just share that with the person next to you? We probably all know those people who love to start a debate. <coughs> Something to add variety to the working day. Imagine the moment someone casually asks you a tricky question over lunch, or maybe confronts you in a formal setting. All eyes are on you, you can feel your hands getting sweaty, your heart beating that little bit faster. I know I've been there. And when your church leader or that Christian author spoke on that topic, it sounded so convincing, but there's no way that your workmates are going to get it when you try to explain it. So as Christians, how do we speak wisely into those tricky conversations? Perhaps more than ever, what's considered normal or good in our workplaces doesn't always line up with the convictions of our Christian conscience. We can be asked to take part in or be associated with things that the Bible teaches us doesn't sit comfortably with our Christian faith. I'm sure you were all able to think of times when that happened to you. In Romans chapter 9, verse 1, Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. For Christians, our conscience is a gift because this is in part how the Holy Spirit directs us on what is right and wrong. However, this must always be held in tension with an understanding of the job that we have said we will do, though very use specific protections in law when it comes to conscience. And it's important to think through how we might deal with conscience issues in the workplace in the most wise and productive way. In our research, when we ask people, um, when has your work come in conflict with your conscience as a Christian, we've got maybe 600 answers, um, but they could mostly be grouped into four categories. Um, there was a lack of accommodation for their Christian faith practices. The pressure of work meant they ran out of time for their Christian practices. They felt pressure to compromise their integrity, or there was issues around sexuality and gender, things like pride pronouns and um, email signatures particularly. Um, feel free to ask about any of these specific areas in the Q&A. Are we doing a Q&A? Yeah, in the Q&A. Um, but I'm just going to give four kind of overarching principles um, to how, to, on how to navigate these. So number one, sometimes it's worth speaking up about discrimination. <laughs> the Bible tells us that following Jesus will be challenging. Jesus is very clear about that, that it's going to be hard because it's so countercultural in so many ways. So that means that when Christians experience discrimination or harassment on account of their faith, they are often hesitant to complain because they understand it to be part of the deal, part of the cost of the Christian life. However, there are a number of good reasons why you might wish to raise some of these tensions or discriminations with your employer. It may provide you with an opportunity to explain the importance of your Christian faith, to talk to them about what it is that you actually believe. It's important to, to show that God cares about reconciliation, righteousness and justice. Um, so raising an issue about religion or belief discrimination appropriately with your employer may improve workplace uh, relationships, not only for you but also for people of other faiths. Um, it's a way that Christians can positively transform the culture of their workplaces. So a bit of the, the saltiness and the like that Johnny was talking about earlier. And, but it's important to say that raising concerns or making a complaint may not always um, be the best way to achieve the best outcome. So that takes me on to um, principle number two, seek advice. It will often be wise to seek legal advice before making a formal complaint and always take time to think and pray over any conscience issue you encounter in the workplace and seek advice from other Christians in your life in some of these conscience issues we might disagree about the best approach um, but it is vital that we, we remain united in our desire to speak and live in a way that points our colleagues to Jesus number three be prepared. <coughs> 1 Peter 3, 15-16 says, But in your hearts there will be a Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So the Bible tells us always to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. And I think it's really important to remember this isn't just an instruction for our attitude, to be prepared in attitude, but to actually think about the words that we're going to choose to say. So carefully think through how you might answer different questions that might come up um, and how you might do that in a gentle and humble way. Um, I find it really helpful to remember James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So ask God for wisdom before you try and work out the best thing to say. Number four, don't go looking for a debate. It is important to remember that it is not our job as Christians to go looking for controversial debates or to seek difficult conversations on conscious issues. Often these things can actually be distracting from what we really want to share about who Jesus is. So that leads me on to my second tool, um, which is a tool for sharing the gospel at work. It's sort of bang in the middle of the main resource, if you grab one of those. It's five top tips. It's in your handly in your handouts. Um, so it's using the acronym speak. To help you share your faith sensitively and effectively in the workplace. So, S, start with prayer. It's always wise to start by asking God for wisdom, words and wisdomness. Try praying for your colleagues, clients, customers, before, during and after you speak with them. And explore, could it be appropriate to pray with a colleague or to offer to pray for a colleague? This obviously needs to be done with wisdom and gentleness, but it could be a really powerful witness. P, prioritise your work. So our work is an area of service to God, as John said, and another way you can worship him. Your attitude towards your work um, will demonstrate, demonstrate your faith in Jesus to those around you. By doing your best, demonstrating honesty, kindness and diligence. Obviously, there's no substitute for actually telling someone about Jesus and who he is. But there will be times and situations in the workplace where that's not possible um, or wise to do so. And if there's a conversation um, that requires more time than is appropriate for work, more than the coffee break, more than the lunch break, why don't you suggest carrying on that conversation outside of working hours in a different place? E. Explain your faith. Explain the impact that the Christian faith has on your life and your day-to-day thinking. Expressing an opinion as rooted in your faith actually has legal protection that standalone opinions do not. And we probably all know that ongoing natural conversations are always better than forced, isolated occasions. And by mentioning our faith frequently and naturally in conversations, it won't feel like such a big deal when someone actually wants to have a proper conversation about Christian things. A, aim to build gospel bridges. bridges. So aim to build relational bridges that can bear the weight of the Christian, Christian message. By doing your job well and by being salt and light. When there's an opportunity to share a Christian faith with someone, it's important to ask and listen, not just talk. The more you take an e- a genuine interest in their life and their worldview, the more they will be likely to want to hear about yours. And as you share the Jesus story, pray for compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, as it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Okay, can I know when to stop. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thank
0: you. Um, <laughs> um, always ensure to offer others beliefs the respect you wish yours to receive. So when speaking to a colleague about your faith, just do the normal thing of check that they're happy to engage and continue with the conversation. And of course, if you're in a position of authority, you need to be really sensitive to that and not abuse your power. And if a colleague makes it clear that they're not enjoying the conversation or they ask you to stop or it's just not welcome, just, we just need to do the normal thing and stop. If they don't want to talk about it, that's okay. We can wait until they are. Um, finally, in Mark chapter 9, 37-38, it says, The harvest is plentiful. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the work is a you. The workplace for the United Kingdom is a huge harvest field. And Christians, you guys, are already there. Um, and you have all the tools that you need. God's word and the Holy Spirit. So the point of these resources that we've made, um, what we're praying they will be, is simply <coughs> to serve as a reminder to look to the tools you have. And... Um, that
1: they'll be that gentle, sensible friend reminding you to use them. So, thank you so much. Um, we're going to have time, as promised, for Q&A, so um, <laughs> uh, there's a question there to talk about in the pub. Let's take that away and talk about it together. Um, but, uh, yeah, let things percolate, clarify any questions that have been coming to mind. Maybe turn to a neighbour and um, see if they've got any good questions that they want you to ask on their behalf. Um, so a minute to chat, and then we'll have... Time for I'm conscious that we've covered quite a lot between us. Um, but um, go for it. Any questions that come up and um, one of us can have a go. Yeah, Pippa. Um, you're talking
2: about how, um, like, we are created for eternal rest. Hmm. But then you're also talking about how, like, work is good. And yeah. how, kind of three, four, God created
0: work. Yeah. So how do you have eternal rest, but also what would we work for? Creation?
1: Okay, great. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, in Revelation it does say that we'll be serving the Lord's in the new creation, which suggests um, doing activity of some form or another. There's, there's tantalisingly little that we know precisely about what that will be like, um, but uh, yeah, some of Jesus's parables as well speak about like um, managing and serving and things. So yeah, the the um, expectation seems to be that we won't just be lounging around. Um, there will be work. But I, I guess perhaps it will be the, the rest is the kind of big picture category for salvation and for um, entering into perfect peace and joy and um, intimacy with God, like perfect intimacy with God. Um, but somehow that will coexist with doing stuff. And, um, and I think that is actually quite instructive for our approach to work now because it suggests that, we can have a restful approach to our work rather than a restless approach. Um, this is the sort of stuff that um, John Mark Comer is, is brilliant about in this book, which I raved about last term at Dwell, um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he contrasts the attitude of like restlessness and restfulness. And, um, and I think a healthy approach to rest and sleep and Sabbath... It will, that will color then our working week and our daily attitudes and experience. So, yeah, I think there's, there's a way in which they work and rest, ideally, kind of, bless each other. Or maybe it's more that rest blesses work. Yeah, maybe it's that way around. Some initial thoughts. Yeah, Bill?
2: I was just going to share a little bit along the lines of pride, vanity, arrogance. Uh, so I want more money. I want ambition. If you eliminate all of that, and have and I'm not saying this is happening right now but in the new creation mm. joy is one I love cooking great I'll cook for all of you, yeah. you give me a big kitchen I'm all for it yeah. I would love to do that yeah. that's not work Right. That, that's serving in a beautiful wonderful way there's no profit there's no ambition there's no arrogance or pride or vanity all of that eliminated mm. and yet all that wondrous activity right you play guitar brilliant pray for it and your new body will not ever grow tired
1: yeah yeah. So, maybe that's, thought, so yeah. Right. maybe that's work Yeah. Maybe that's working. It's pure sense, like free from all those simple yeah. tendencies. Yeah. James.
2: Um, I think it's related. Uh, I was wondering what what is the place if there is one for kind of ambition in our work. Mm. So like to pick an example, it's good that there are people who are seeking to discover cures for diseases, yeah. and that work is good. I think, and there can be good ambitions there yeah. to achieve ends in that work, uh, which so like obviously witness. There are other good things. So, um, yeah. and I
1: imagine for those
2: people, there might be, uh, you know, they might be ambitiously
1: seek particular goals, there might be kind of emotional sacrifices, mm. hard hours to put in. But mm. uh, there's good that there's maybe attention there. So mm. How do you mm. think about like, good ambition? Yeah. Brilliant question. Um, have you
0: come across that much in your, all your research, ambition sort of issues? All right. Not really. Um, but it's a really good question,
1: yeah.
0: and and um, I think something that we've thought quite a lot about is that we want Christians in every every area of life, and if as Christians we're going into our workplaces to 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 improve the culture, um, then then it's a really good thing to have Christian CEOs and consultants and whatever higher positions we have. So, I, th- I think uh, I don't have a lot of experience with it, but I think it's a really hard balance between um, kind of sinful or what could be sinful drivers in those things. So, like just wanting more money, um, but in if we if you were pursuing godliness in that and like how you use that extra money you might get in an extra in a in a higher role or whatever. I think it's so important to have Christians in places of influence, whether that's just influence within their company or things that are going to influence wider society or whatever. Like Christian politicians or whatever, um, what an opportunity! I think.
1: I think, yeah, I think ambition is a really interesting topic, and um, uh, so Paul at times criticises selfish ambition, but that's not necessarily not all ambition is selfish. I think, therefore, by implication. Um, so like, what are you aspiring for? What are you aspiring to do good? It's that same question perhaps, am I seen to do good or to look good? <laughs> if, my ambition, if my ambition, my drive, my aspirations at work are to do good, great. If, if, if our understanding of doing good is, is love and generosity and serving people, then great, be ambitious, reach for the stars, absolutely. Um, but if it's, for yourself to look good, hmm. questionable. Well, wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, go on, Andy. It's, uh, our motives are always messy. Yeah. So, and then sometimes I found people that I are basically paralyzed, waiting for the absolute pure motive to come. Right. And it's like you are never going to be. Your motives are always going to be messy. Yeah. And we've got to keep trying to have the best motives. Um, yeah, so don't, like, someone, someone's offered like a really good job promotion. Oh, I can't take it because like, I don't want to be self-reservation. Well, the fact that that's your concern is, is a healthy sign. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean necessarily you shouldn't take it for that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lean into that awareness and pray about it and talk about it, but yeah, it doesn't mean take it off the table. Um, just a recommendation: I came across a brilliant talk. Um, on, you can watch it on YouTube. James Smith, who's a philosopher and he's written some brilliant Christian books, um, called "I was just finding my notes for it." Reforming Our Ambition, and he's he's basically an Aquina, um, a an Augustine geek. He just loves Augustine and he riffs on Augustine, and it's brilliant. And it's a talk all about ambition, and um, he yeah he's sort of diving into some of these motivation factors. Um, uh, I won't destroy it now, but do check it out. Yeah. Mm. And that ambition is really subjective to different Yes
0: and within our capacity. Yeah. So someone with a larger capacity and ability can seem to have that, that greater ambition and to be able to
2: fulfill that. Mm. Um, whereas someone else actually, they don't have that same level of capacity. It doesn't mean they're not ambitious.
1: Mm. So we've got to be mindful that we're not comparing ourselves to others in that too yeah. much as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much.
0: And God uses people in the Bible in positions of power all the time. It's so like hmm. Esther, Daniel, Joseph, David. So I guess it's just including God in whatever our next big work decision is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah, yeah. 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 One little tip that I just remember from that talk is he, he spoke about how in, in the world, often the approach to ambition is win or quit. So, um, like, you, you're going for the win, and if you don't make it, you've lost. So it's very binary. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, you've got to win, or you're basically a failure, and you may as well quit. <laughs> um, whereas with a God of grace, it's just so different, isn't it? Like, yeah, let's pursue excellence. Let's work hard and love people. Um but that could look like a hundred things, and there's just so much more freedom and peace in working for the Lord. Yeah. Francis, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Just this is probably is question, but um, how about um, people like missionaries, when you look um, back in history, who, are, who sort of worked day and night um, to bring glory to God, and their work was really, really hard, mm. and they didn't pay much attention to resting? Um, Why would they stand? They maybe sinning against God for not taking
1: enough
2: rest,
1: mm. now? Yeah, great question. Yeah, cause we've we've all sat through those talks, haven't we? Of like <laughs> the the incredible missionary or whatever from it's normally two hundred years ago, and yeah, they uh, yeah you know they wore themselves to the ground, and um, it can be inspiring. But not all models are good models, and there are things we can learn and emulate whilst also questioning other things. And what I've tried to do tonight is just show us rest is good and work is good, and both are gifts from God. Um, and that, that is irrespective of context and where we are and the, the opportunities around us. Like, there's always more work we could do, isn't there? Always. Always. Um, but God established a week, um, not because of the planets, just because He said. And so I think we're we're foolish and yeah, I'd say disobedient to ignore that. Um, yeah. Was that a question, Phil? Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, any thoughts on creative work? Um,
1: yeah, slightly on the conundrum of. of um, big city jobs earn a money of give it to the church and art is it, how useful mm, is artwork? Mm. Is it just going to all burn one day it right. Yeah. not earn money like I know it's a kind of worms but um, if, I'm, if I'm there next week. what's next week the environment next week oh, we have got to talk in environment soon yeah yeah, which will t- t- speak into like creation and the goodness of creation mm. um, yeah in a nutshell art is good because God is an artist and he made a beautiful world Um <laughs> Uh, that's my one sentence on. <laughs> Amen. Amen, okay. uh, Yeah, um, such an important question. Let, let's let come back at it and deal with it more fully then, if that's okay. Yeah, thank you, Phil. Sam? I was just going to ask on these categories of work and rest. Yeah. Should, should we aim to put everything in a category? Where, where would we, all do you say, serving at church on a Sunday, mm-hmm. so lots of people church serve on a Sunday in lots of different ways? mm
2: Serve
1: the church mm. um, you know, that yeah. Excellent question. Um, what are your thoughts, Jo?
0: Um. Well, what I was, what my th- first thought was, so after leaving uni, I was a ministry trainee for two years back in Exeter, and I found. Finding the divide between work and rest much harder when I was working for a church than I do now. Even though I'm still now a professional Christian, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I'm actually just going to say, like, I mean, you can tell me this is the wrong thing to say, but um, like, we, those of us that aren't working for CCV, we should be looking out and help, seeing how we can help those that are working the CCB, how we can help make sure that you, help you find rest, or check that you're getting rest, mm. or support you in finding rest, because I think it's because um, sacrificing <coughs> time for the church is part of the Christian life, I think it's harder to find it when it's your full-time job, but you can tell me It's that's a well. Yeah, it's
1: a weird one for the few of us who are employed by the church, but for um, and that's very kind of you to say that, but um, for for uh, I think for most of us, um, yeah, it's a funny one. We were talking about this earlier a bit in our little breakout group because um, let's be thankful that for most employers you get two days off because it does mean that you can have um, a day for the Lord on Sunday um, and a day for hobbies, chores, leisure, you know. Um, so that's a wonderful gift. And um, I get that many Christians throughout history would be really envious of. Um, so, so I think to a degree, it's just like, let's consider how to use our time wisely um, so that on a Sunday, we really can all give ourselves to each other and to the work of the Lord together. Because, um, yeah, I'm I'm so touched Sunday by Sunday. Like A lot of people really, really do work hard to make it happen, um, not just staff. Um, yeah, by no means. Um but at the same time, like let's remember, you know what Jane was saying earlier. Capacity, we're all different. We've got different things going on, um, different responsibilities elsewhere, and so, like, there's no cookie cutter mold for being on a serving team or a rota or whatever. Like, it's going to look different for all of us. Um, yeah, those are a few jumbled thoughts. But like, let's keep talking about that. And if you, if you ever have concerns, like, we really don't want you to burn out. Like, no one wants that. It's not good for anyone. We we want us all to to serve each other out of a place of freedom and peace and joy in the lord and so it's always fine to say you know what can i come off that team yes you can <laughs> i'm like taking people off teams the whole time and adding people to teams like um there's complete freedom to serve as we want to yeah so. i was just going to
2: mention an idea and i was talking to Rob about it before but so i have discussed it with another human the it, it, we're not necessarily relegated to a single 24-hour period of which you will take rest and that's it because we don't have that lifestyle anymore. Mm-hmm. If we were working six days a week, which, by the way, was not long ago, right, a century ago, the five-day work week was something that came to us by protest, and so we're thankful for that. You can take... Uh, this is my thought. You can take a 15-minute break in the morning. Yeah. I tried to do that. Try. I can take an hour-and-a-half break before I go to bed in the evening. I can try to do that. So I'm just... It being creative with the idea of, you know, God and a day. Yeah. But I'd like to think it's okay for me to give myself permission fifteen minutes this day yeah. and i have that day ultimately adding up to something that's reasonably rest. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be from midnight of what is now Sunday through to the end of midnight the next it's yeah.
1: okay for be creative. Absolutely. Yeah, really wise. Thank you Bill. Go on, Robin. Last one, yeah.
2: I have a
0: question on this this kind of idea of rest and I suppose if rest is part of the way that we should be glorifying God mm. and we live on this planet and glorifying God is difficult for us and we're bad at it, mm. how much should we be struggling with rest as mm. in trying harder I suppose or I don't know, wrestling with this idea of actually making our rest glorifying to God and mm. not just doing whatever we want to
2: because we feel sleepy now or Right. Or like, should, it, it feels like it's easy to accept that glorifying God's work is hard
0: because
1: work is hard. Right. Um, we should be wrestling with that. But. Yeah. That with wrestling? wrestling with rest. That would have been yeah. a good title, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, <coughs> next time. Um, I think wrestle with it. Yeah. Because it's, it's part of life. You know, life is work and rest. And so. Yeah. If, if it's worth thinking hard about how do we work well for the glory of God. Let's think about how we rest well as well. And um, it is interesting in Hebrews 4, which is quite a complicated passage, so we won't go into it, but he talks about striving to enter that rest. And um, perhaps in a comparable way, it requires a bit of effort to think, how am I going to rest well? Mm. Um, it requires knowing ourselves well. Like people have touched on mental rest, physical rest, spiritual rest. Like we need to know ourselves what's going to be restorative for me in the way God's made me, and how can I rest? and how do I do that on a Sunday? I love crowds. I don't love crowds so much. Like we all, We're all different and we need to think those things through. Uh, and let's think them through because life is just so much better for us and for all the people around us that we're trying to love and serve when we're resting well. And um, I, you know, you don't need persuading that considering physical or mental health are worthwhile things to do. How much more spiritual health? And this is a significant part of our spiritual health. Yeah. Okay, time has run on. So um, we're going to stop there. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, let me say a quick prayer, and then we're going to sing that we do all that we're doing by and for um, the joyful remembrance of God's grace. Our Father, thank you for the gift of work, even though it's hard. Please help us to glorify you in our work. And thank you for the gift of rest. Thank you that you are such a good and generous Gracious God, uh, you tell us to rest. Um, so please help us to, to rest as well for your glory. And please bless our conversations and our ongoing thinking as we wrestle with how to do this well. In Jesus' name, amen.